this, but uh, the idea that motherhood, that God gives us motherhood to help us understand his connection, his relationship to us is, is a, a thought that I feel like God helped me, helped me to come to as I was thinking about this, this concept. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm surrounded by mothers. Um, I have a, my wonderful wife, Angie, who's just doing such a great job uh, being mom for, for my daughters. I remember talking with her about, like, the feeling of being a mom, you know. I don't have that feeling. Uh, but she talked about having her heart, like, on the outside of herself and kind of watching it, watching it grow. I'm so proud of, of what she's done and, and, uh, and, and is still doing to raise up our daughters in the way that they should go and teach them about Jesus and model the faith um, that she, she proclaims to them. And it is such an all-encompassing calling. Uh, I, lo- I just love the way that guy describes the job, you know, director of operations, and it's awesome. And I, I reflect on my own mom today, too, uh, who, li- who some of you know, um, lives with us. I spend a lot of time with her. She's, she has Alzheimer's, and, and we're caring for her. And, and uh, we started last year almost. She moved in with us in July. And uh, it's quite a role reversal for me. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's funny sometimes as I'm putting on her pajamas and putting her to bed. Like, how many times did she do this for me, you know, put me to bed and tell me to put on my pajamas? It's nice, you know, when your kids get old enough where you can just tell them, you know, they become autonomous like AI. Go put your pajamas on, you know, and they do it. Or sometimes not. But uh, it's the goal of, of every mother to see their kids be able to, to walk on their own. And uh, my mom, as I think about my mom, you know, she's, she's one of the, the people in my life that was just a huge influence in my faith, even when I was running away from it. Um, she she's a person who just demonstrated uh, just such Christ-like, a Christ-like love and example to our family. Um, even with Alzheimer's, you know, where she's forgotten just about everything except that she knows me. <laughs> I'm either my dad or me. It's something, you know, I, don't, I don't argue anymore. Um, but uh, she, she hasn't forgotten that she wants to serve other people. It's interesting because we, we sit down to eat every time and then I get annoyed by it, you know, but it, it's, it's just so telling of the, the kind of person that she became because we sit down to eat and she has her plate of food, you know, and she's like, oh, do you want some? Do you, do you need some? Did you, are you going to get some? You know, like, can't you forget that question? Like, you ask me that every single day. Like, she can't forget, oh, how are the, are the girls getting something to eat? Or It's like, she thinks through, like, before she starts to eat, it's like ingrained in her DNA now. It's not even a, a thought process. It's just like, are you guys getting something to eat? It's like, yeah. And she's like, I'll make you something. I'm like, please, no, don't. Um, but it's just awesome. And, you know, sometimes I think it's a ruse because when there's stuff that she really likes, she takes it from me. I came back to my dinner plate the other day with these little egg roll things that we eat. And it was gone. I'm like, hey, where'd my egg roll go? She's all, <laughs> just like, sucker, you're putting me on. But she modeled Christ-like love to our family. Uh, the, the scripture says, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us so that we should lay down our lives for others. My mom is someone 
I, I, I just remember my dad worked at Boeing for like 35 years, different shifts, most of the time days. And uh, he would get up, you know, 4.30, 5 in the morning. And she would get up and go make breakfast and his lunch and hang out with him until he left for work. And then she'd go back to bed until we got up and then she'd get us up. Like every day, crazy. I think to myself, man, that it's just the Christ-like love that she had. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that she ever complained. I don't ever remember her saying, oh, I gotta do this. It was just, she just did it. Um, and I know she always prayed for me. I sometimes blame her for the fact that we don't live in Ecuador anymore because, you know, they, they, my dad always said, we're gonna pray that, you know, God brings you back here. I'm just like, God, don't listen to that guy, you know? But I think my mom kept on praying that prayer because we ended up back here. And I know God answered her prayers. Even when I was running away from Christ, she, I know that she continued to pray for me. Uh, you know, and, you know, there was a time in my life where if you would have met you, would, you, if you would have met me, you would think, what an a-hole that guy is. He is not a Christian. You know, and I would say, yeah, I'm not. And some other words. And uh, they just kept praying. And God just, one day I was just walking along away from God and then he just said, and twisted me around and I was walking back toward him and uh, I thank God for that and I, I, I definitely see the prayers of my mom in that so today when we think about motherhood those, those are my reflections on, on my mom and just the you know the that she showed me Christ in, in the way that she lived but when we think about God so many times we talk about God the Father you know it's this, it's this analogy that God gives us to understand him and I just want to, I want to make something clear in case it just to, you know, obviously say it. When we call God a father, it does not mean that he's anatomically, physically a male. Okay, I just wanted to stress that. God is a spirit. Okay, God gives us a reality so that we can understand him. And father is something that he's called because we understand that role, we understand that reality, and it helps us understand God. But no less the role of mother. God created fathers and mothers so that we can understand how he wants to relate to us. And some, some of us had great fathers and mothers. Some of us had horrible fathers. Some of us don't know our fathers and mothers. There's whole, all different categories of people in this, in this area. But kind of when you, when you had a really bad father and mother, you kind of knew there was like something inside you that's like, this is, not, this is not right. This is not good. Because God is the perfect father. God is the one. He's, he's your perfect father. God is the perfect mother <laughs> as well. And uh, I know there are people walking around talking about the mother God cult. I don't know if you've encountered them. But a uh, bizarre, a bizarre extraneous thing that they want you to believe. Uh, typical with cults. But I'm not promoting the mother God cult, just so you know. God is not a father or a mother. He's not male or female. He's both and. God created male and female in his image. Genesis says, in, in the image of God, he created them. And so when we think about motherhood, just like we think about fatherhood, this is, this is when Jesus begins to pray in his day, he says, Father. He just starts talking to God as his father. And people understood that there was an intimacy there with God that, that no, other, no one else claimed. And it, it really it was like maddening to some of the, the religious people of his day. So there's an intimacy with a relationship with a father that God wants us to understand. When I, when I first had my daughters, when I first had Zoe, and it was like, 
Everyone's like, you ready to have kids? I'm like, I don't, where's the test? Like, I don't know. Do I pass? Do I fail? Like, I think I would fail. I'm not sure. But when I had Zoe, I was like, yeah, I guess this is pretty weird how natural this is. Like, I love this little being in a way that I've never loved anything else in my life. Like, this is just different for me. Like, you know, like when the Grinch's heart kind of grew three times bigger. That's kind of that's what happened to me, like, in that moment. And it was like, wow, I do I have a heart? Weird. That's bizarre. And uh, then, but as, I, as you think about that, it's like, the love that I have for this person is what God has been trying to show me. This is what God wants me to understand about his love for me, about his love for his offspring, for his people, for the people he gave birth to. It's, ama- it's an amazing connection that was built into our reality so that we could understand how much God could love us. And just so you know, when I screwed up and when I totally did stupid stuff, evil things, my dad didn't say, you're not my son anymore. My dad said, you're getting disciplined. <laughs> you're going to wish you weren't my son, but you're still my son. I love you. That's, that's what our father's like. When you mess up, you're, you, don't, you don't stop being his son. You don't stop being his offspring. And so, excuse my, uh, my runny, blubbering nose, and we'll stop. Uh, so God gives us both the idea of father and mother to understand him. Think about these terms, father and mother. No one's just, these are, these are relative terms. You're only a father in relation to, like, somebody else. You're only a mother in relation to somebody else. You, you can't just be a father. You can't just be a mother, Kind, you can just be a mother, but you can't be a mother, you know, apart from like having kids and being a mother or being, having kids and being a father. God created these two people because he's, he's trying to help us understand himself. God's three in one, three persons, one in essence. From all of eternity, he's in a loving, communicative relationship. And he creates, when he decides to create someone in his image, he creates two halves of one organism. And humanity is so, it's so interesting when, if you step back for a minute and think about the biological reality of an organism. Organisms are the, a, these things that are designed to accomplish, per, like your heart does this thing and it pumps blood and it works together. The Bible says when, when two people get married, they become one. And in a very literal, physical sense, males and females, when they come together, they become one organism that has, that's accomplishing one thing, which is procreation the, the very thing that God made us in his image so we could we could recreate people we could recreate images of God and, and fill the world with his glory and God that's what the mandate God gave from the very beginning he said go and fill the world be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and so he created two halves of an organism to do that we can't do it alone and from the very beginning of our reality men have treated women horribly Women have treated men badly. Structures of society have, have been, been horrible, but God never intended for there to be a battle of the sexes. God didn't create men versus women. He created one organism that two people could become one to accomplish his purposes together, only in, in this most intimate form of cooperation. It's a crazy thing to think about. And so as we think about motherhood, God has revealed himself in his word and he's given us this picture of motherhood 
most clearly when he talks about his concern for protecting his people or, or calling out to them. In Psalm 36, God says, how precious, the, the psalmist says, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. So God, just like we don't think God is a man, an old white man with a white beard walking around in a robe, and we don't think God is a woman with a white beard walking around in a robe, we neither, neither do we think God is a big sort of man chicken with wings and calling people to come under his wings. Like he doesn't have wings, okay? This is a figure of speech. So when, you, when, we, when we talk about I understand the Bible literally, it means I literally understand that there's poetry and people use figurative language in poetry. So I don't think to myself, oh, God has wings, okay? No, he's, he's trying to paint a picture for us of a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings and protecting them. In Matthew 23, Jesus says to Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, he's lamenting the city of Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Okay, they're obviously against God. And he says, how often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. So here we see God referring to himself as this mother hen gathering, gathering his, wanting to gather his children under, under his wings, under her wings, whatever. So let's look at God today through the lens of mothers that he has used to tell a story. I, I chose four moms that trace sort of the trajectory of God's story. The first mom, this is my outline. Eve, Sarah, Jochebed, and Mary. Jochebed, I bet you didn't know that one. I didn't know that one. That's Moses' mom. I didn't know if her name was even in the Bible. I thought, what is her name? It's crazy, because it's not mentioned right initially there. But uh, Eve, let's start with Eve. So in, in Eve, I call Eve a mother's hope. Eve's the mother of all, right? She's the beginning mom. She's the first mom. She's the first mom that totally fails, right? This, this is Eve's story. Like, hey, you're awesome. Adam's totally stoked on you. Step one total failure. I mean, I don't know how long it was, but her and Adam royally screwed up. So God comes and he pursues after these people that are hiding in the bushes and trying to put leaves on themselves to cover their nakedness. Think about this. God created men men and women. I said he created men and women in his image and they were naked and unashamed. Okay, just totally birthday suits walking around in the garden, in the jungle. And God said, it is good, okay? We think to ourselves, oh, once they learn good and evil, they decided, oh, being naked, uh, like I'm naked, I gotta cover myself up, that's shameful. God didn't say being naked was shameful. God said it was good. We decided, what's, when we're gonna decide what's right and wrong, we decided being naked is shameful. We decided to twist God's plan. So I don't know if we'd be sitting here naked today if not for that, but uh We'd probably be in a jungle, garden, jungle. But just, just be clear, like, God is not some kind of old prude that's afraid of the things he created. He, he said, you, you guys are naked, and that's good. And they were unashamed. They decided to be shameful. They decided to wear leaves. Stupid. God even saved them from that and taught them how to make fur skins, whatever. So we get leather pants out of it. But from the very beginning of this fall, God promises a savior. Now, you might think to yourself, as a mother, I've totally failed. I've messed up. And, 
And you can, you can find your, your, your solace in Eve's story because God doesn't give up on people that screw up. He comes and they're hiding in the bushes and he says, where are you? And he, he calls them to himself and he says, what did you do? And they confess what they did and God forgives them. And then he, he's talking to Adam and to Eve and the snake and he gives, her, he gives them a promise which we call the, the proto-euangelion in scripture, the, the first gospel Genesis 3.15, God says, I will cause, he's talking to the snake, and he says, I'll cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This word offspring or seed. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Okay? When you hit somebody's heel, they're like, ouch. But when they put their heel on your head, you're dead. Okay? Jesus is going to win that fight. This is referring to, we, we've come to understand, this is the, like the first gospel in Scripture. This is referring to Christ. From the very beginning, God's work in this story, even in the failure of Eve, God redeems this mom, and he gives her a promise that you're gonna, you're, it's through you that the world is going to be saved. It's, a, it's an awesome encouragement. And Eve understands that promise because as the story goes on, we, we, we see what she says when Cain is born, her first son. She says, I've, I've, I've uh, accomplished this. I've, I've received this man. Like she she kind of uses the same language that God uses when he promises this seed. She thinks Cain's the one. She thinks like, I've, we've done it, you know? And uh, so she is this mother that's full of hope. She's failed and she's messed up. And then God gives her a promise and, and it fills her with hope. And that's what I think about when I think about like, what does Eve teach us about motherhood? I feel like this idea of moms are just full of hope for their offspring. When Cain was born, she's like, he's the one. He's going to save the world. You know, she's just so excited about, about Cain. And uh, moms are just so much like that. They, they're, they're just for their offspring, right? They just want them to succeed no matter what. I remember my mom year after year promising me a growth spurt. <laughs> That's the one I just held on. Maybe I still have some bitterness, you know? Because I was just in the front row, front row of the school picture every year, you know, holding the sign. Uh, and then she kept, along with my doctor, you know, the kid's doctor, like, oh, yeah, you're, boys shoot up at this age. You know, every year it was a later age until I'm like 20. And then I stopped believing him a little bit, you know? Like, I don't think it's going to happen, Mom, you know? Even my little sister's bigger than me, so... Mom, my mom just never gave up hope, in a sense. She was always, like, hopeful, even for some of my, my stupid desires to get taller, you know. So now I just grow outward, not upward. And this, I think God, this illumines the, the, the hope that's in moms is what God has for us, even in our failures. In Acts 17, later in the story, there's a guy that God sent out named Paul, and he's talking to the Athenians. And he's telling them about who God is. And he says, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples with human and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Verse 27, his purpose for this was that 
people would seek after God and find him. God is hopeful that people would find him. God plans where people are born and when they are born and establishes their boundaries so that they would seek after him and find him. That's God's hope for us. He's like a mom that doesn't want to give up. And I think motherhood gives us this picture of parental hope. God desires that everybody would come to him. Uh, 2 Timothy says, God is... uh, It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is calling the whole, he's offering forgiveness in Jesus' name. That's it. None of your own works. In Jesus' name, you can be part of God's family and be adopted. And that's God's great hope that we would announce that message. So then we move on from Eve to Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife. She was named Sarai, and he was named Abram, right? Abram. And uh, God changed their names and changed their whole lives. But Sarah, I think, represents like joy, a mother's joy. Now, think about this story of, of great joy because it did not start out that way. This is a tough, you gotta, you gotta read, don't read these Bible stories in light of like the Veggie Tales version. You gotta go to like, like Game of Thrones version. Like, don't watch that show. Lord of the Rings version, I don't know what we wanna call it. This is a rough tale. God says to Abraham, follow me. Leave your home and your father's house and your land to go to the land that I'm going to show you, okay? Leave your job, leave your security, leave your health insurance, leave your retirement plan, and go to a place I'm going to show you. That's what God told him. Abraham did it, and God told him, I'm going to give you a son, and it's through your son that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Through your seed, he uses the same word. And Abraham's like, all right, let's do this. Sarah, we're going to have a son. They don't have a son. Years go by. Years go by. Years go by. And it's getting late in the game, right? It's getting late in the game. Abraham's getting up to like 60, 70, 80. Is God really going to come through? Is God really going to provide this promised son to an 80-year-old dude? At one point in their story in Genesis 18, two an- some uh, angels visit. And then one of them says to Abraham, I'll return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. And Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time. And Sarah was long past the age of having children, so she laughed silently to herself. How could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid and so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. (laughs) He knows, he knows that you laughed. But Sarah's story is one of trying to make God's promise come true on her own, in her own effort. She knew they were promised a son, and she said, it's not happening. So Abraham, take my servant and have a son with her. At least we can get God's plan rolling for him. He's failing us. He's not coming through on our time frame here. Come on. And so even in Sarah's attempt to fulfill God's promise in her own effort, God doesn't give up on his promise. 
And in fact, God reinforces the fact that he's the one that did it by faith because Abraham is 100 years old talking to these angels. And Sarah has given up on this promise. She's sitting in her tent laughing like, are you kidding me? She probably wanted to run out and yell at him, get out of here, you angels. What are you talking about? This cat is 100 years old. I'm 75. We don't have kids anymore. And she starts laughing. She's totally given up on this promise. God's promise does not count on our appraisal of how well he could do it. God's promise never depends on our ability or our effort. That's the story God's trying to tell us. That's what he's given to Sarah is joy when she's 75 years old. And when she has this baby, she names him Laughter. She names him Isaac because she's so happy to have this boy. (coughs) Children just give you joy. You just watch these little knuckleheads. I mean, yes, sometimes you're just like ready to throttle them, right? And then mom steps in. But sometimes they're just like, out of nowhere, they just make you laugh, okay? Like one day in our house, terrible Teresa arrived in our front room, okay? So that you can show a terrible Teresa. She just shows up, <laughs> running around. I, I, first, I first caught a glimpse of terrible Teresa circling our house with her cape, running full speed, like flapping her cape. And then when she came in, I'm like, that's Abby, my daughter. Like, Abby, what are you doing? She's like, I'm terrible, Teresa. And I'm like, where, where in the world did you think of terrible Teresa from? That's awesome. I'm like, what does terrible Teresa do? Like, I want to know more about terrible Teresa. This sounds like an awesome story. If anyone's named Teresa, like, forgive us. I don't know why she thinks Teresa terrible, but so awesome. She just invents this little superhero, and she loved those shin guards. Those shin guards. I mean... That's almost like, you could laugh at her, but like, you guys are all watching Marvel movies. That's how they dress, okay? Like, that's vision right there, okay? You got a cape, you got a skin-tight suit, you got some kind of armor on. She's, a, she's ahead of her time. And Angie and I are just laughing. We're just like, it just brings you joy to see the creativity of these little ones. And, that, and that's, that's what I see in, <clears throat> in God. God has great joy in his people. God takes so much joy throughout the scripture. God is the source of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. <coughs> Excuse me. But God also finds great joy in the praises of his people. God is one who just loves when we're standing here singing and we're all in agreement and we're praising God. That gives him great joy. God is the one who rejoices with all of heaven when one person comes into his kingdom. God gives this idea of the joy of motherhood helps us understand the joy that God has for us. So now we move on to Jochebed. No wonder they didn't mention her name, right? Jochebed. A mother's influence. So Moses' mom. There's a poem that you might have heard. You probably heard one line of it, actually, because it was written in the 1800s. But it goes like this. Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place. Would that never storms assail it, rainbows ever gently curled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. So Moses, the deliverer of Israel, 
is born at a terrible time. This is not a story of like happy motherhood. This is a mom who has a baby right after the, the oppressive Egyptian society. You talk about like a white power society, right? This is the Egyptian power society. And they, they, they decree that all Hebrew boys must be killed by being thrown into the Nile. So she, can you imagine this mom when she sees that she had a boy? I mean, her heart must have been broken. It's like, oh, it's not a boy, is it? Like, yes. We have to kill it. Like, it's either kill this boy or our, our whole family and village area is wiped out. So she hides the baby. She's, high, she's trying, to, trying to hold on to this baby. And eventually this mom is led by the power of Egypt to actually give up her son in this basket in the river. It sounds like a nice story, you know, tales wise But this, this kid is dead. When you put a baby in a basket in a river, he's gone. He is a goner. She, she doesn't think she's getting this baby back from the dead. But in fact, she does. It's an amazing story of Moses' mom receiving her son as back from the dead when the Egyptian princess is swimming, right? And they find the little baby and she says, I want to keep it, you know, I want to keep it as a pet or whatever. Find a mom to raise it. So Moses' sister's hiding in the bushes. She says, hey, I know somebody, (laughs) right? So Moses' mom gets Moses back and she gets to raise Moses for a certain amount of time, right? Who knows how long? He was a wet nurse, right? If you know what that means from a different era. And uh, she gets to spend time with Moses. But she begins to understand, Moses begins to learn who his people are. So I see, I see Moses' mom as the influence. Moms have a great amount of influence on who we are. Spending time, even as a little baby, just the fact that if you have a mom, they, I mean, we've seen it through all, all the research studies, everything. Babies that get held by their moms are just better off in life. Just like that non-rational, physical touch communication begins to instill in a child a sense of trust for other people that is so necessary for a healthy life. It's an amazing thing that God has given to moms. And we see many years later, we see the influence and the instruction that Moses' mom was able to give him. It says uh, in Exodus chapter 2, 11 and 12, many years later when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people. So Moses didn't grow up in the Hebrew slum, right? Moses didn't grow up in the ghetto. He grew up in the palace. He's the son of a princess of Egypt. Like he's, he's like a snooty dude, right? But he, he knows who his people are. And he goes to visit his people because of the influence that his mom had. And Moses is, you know, he sees that they, how hard they were forced to work, it says. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. That's someone that loves his people. He sees someone just getting abused, probably whipped, by this Egyptian and he's like you're dead and he kills him that that's my people Moses knows who his people are because his mom had a great influence on him
Woman, how divine your mission. Here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh keep, the young heart open, always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. God's heart for us is to grow and learn in the same way. He takes the form of a woman, in a sense, in Proverbs, calling out in the town square in Proverbs 8. My children, listen to me, for all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. This is God in the form of a woman named Wisdom calling out to his people for instruction and influence. You can tell the influence of moms. I remember watching probably multiple comedians. But the influence of moms is such that you you got a little boy, right? And the dad raises him up and he's playing, playing soccer, football, whatever, hockey, whatever game it is, baseball. You know, teaches the kid all the stuff and all these years. And then he gets through college and then he, he gets in the Pro Bowl. And he scores like the winning touchdown. And then they're like, hey, how do you feel? He's like, hey, mom. You know, like moms have influence in, our, in people's lives. And that's, that's what God wants to have in our lives. That's, that's, God has given everyone a conscience. Nobody is without a knowledge of God. He's clearly seen through what has been made, but just, just creation is not enough to truly know him. He's also given us his word to understand the love that he has for us and the desire to instruct and influence us. And the last mom, Mary, a mother's faithfulness. I'm going to read a little bit of a longer quote. It's from a guy named G.K. Chesterton. And he's, he's, he's writing, uh, he's writing a, a, a book, short book called What's Wrong with the World in response to the people of his day, 1910 in England, 19, 1908, 1910, something like that. And people are, people are uh, kind of trying to tear the family apart in a sense. And they're, and they're, they're basically saying that women are oppressed by having to be, remain in the home, you know? And uh, it, sounds, it sounds like, yeah, yeah. Like, but in their day and age, like, you don't, you don't get to go, like, be a real estate agent. You get to go work in a factory. <laughs> you get to go work with your husband and your wife and your kids in the factory. And, it, and it's horrible, right? And uh, so people are saying, oh, mothers are just at home and it's drudgery. And G.K. Chesterton is saying, you guys don't understand. You don't understand motherhood. So he says this, when people begin to talk about this domestic duty as not merely difficult but trivial and dreary, I simply give up the question for I cannot with the utmost energy of imagination conceive what they mean. And speaking of mothers, he says, to be, the, to be Queen Elizabeth in your, in your area, to be whitely in an area, to be Aristotle with a certain area, teaching morals, manners, theology, and hygiene. I can understand how this might exhaust the mind, but I cannot imagine how it could narrow it. How can it be a larger career to tell other people's children about the rule of three and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? 
How can it be broad to be the same thing to everyone and narrow to be everything to someone? No, a mother's function is laborious, but because it is gigantic, not because it is minute. I will pity Mrs. Jones for the hugeness of her task. I will never pity her for its smallness. God, in his plan to bring about the Savior of the world, chose a mom to be one of the central characters in his son's life. God planned that Mary, this young woman, would be sucked into his plan. And the angel, I mean, this, her life radically changed. It's like, you're going to get married. You're betrothed to Joseph. A little while later, I mean, think about this story for a minute. It sucks for her. This sucks so bad in their society because if you're pregnant before you're married, you're pretty much dead or at least your family's going to get rid of you. This is, this is a horrible situation for her. What in the world is God doing? Why would you do this? This story always trips me out. He shows up to this young woman. You, like, you know, from our perspective, you should tell Joseph first, right? <laughs> no. No, God shows up to Mary, and he tells her what's going to happen. And what does Mary say? Your will be done. Be, be to me however that she says it. <laughs> she says, your will be done. Right? She's just faithful. She's obedient to what God says, even in the face of what it means for her. She kind of tries to deal with it. She goes to visit Elizabeth, you know, but she's obviously pregnant when she comes back, and Joseph is like, and, you know, it says Joseph is a good guy, so he's going to deal with it quietly. He's not going to, because he could just drag her into the middle of the village and say, look, a prostitute, you know, and then they, it would have been on. <laughs> she probably would have got killed at that point. So Joseph is like, oh, Mary, you know, and she, I mean, what can she say? I'm pregnant by God. Really? That's what you got, Mary? God made you pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have the Savior of the world? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. You know, and Joseph goes home. He's like, what in the world? And then God shows up to Joseph and says, she's right. Mary, Mary's telling the truth. Protect her. She's going to be the one to give birth to my son. You think that God doesn't value motherhood. People, people proclaim, you know, that, that, that Western civilization or whatever it is is, is, is like a chauvinist reality. And to, to think of the world in light of this battle of the sexes is just a horrible, distorted view of history. Because women did not have the same role and men did not have the same role does not mean that they're Unequal. In fact, we see equality and submission in the Godhead. It said, Christ, God is the head of Christ. What? There are, the, there are three persons, one in essence, and yet Christ is submitting himself to God, but they're completely equal, co-eternal, co-equal through, through all eternity. So we think that different roles mean inequality. We think that it means some sort of a fight. It's, it's just a horrible conspiracy theory to project back into history if we went back into history and said mary don't you want to vote <laughs> probably not and i'm not i'm not i'm not saying more than that 
But God chooses motherhood to play a central role throughout his story of salvation. If, if we just have to sometimes step back from our blindness to what God is actually doing and, and understand without our, our sort of preconceived notions, even letting the Holy Spirit inform us about what he's doing. And I see, and I see in Mary this faithfulness, this obedience, and those things are just two sides of a coin, honestly. I trust God. Do you do what he says? Well, no. It's just, they're just, they're just together. Like, if you, you know, I, I trust Angie. So when, when she tells me something, I believe it and I, and I do it. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his firstborn. God intends for us to know him through the self-sacrificing work of a mother, the hopeful love of a mother, the joyful connection of a mother, the careful instruction of a mother, and the faithfulness of unfailing love. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 26 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Motherhood plays a central role in God's revelation of himself to us. From the beginning to the end of his plans, moms are vital to everything which happens and illuminate the character and nature of God. The God who hopes all things in spite of our failures. He makes a way for us to know him. The God who who rejoices with all of heaven and earth when one person comes into his kingdom. Even when we might have given up on his promises, he doesn't give up on us. The God who has planned and prepared our lives and times to instruct and lead us to him. Even when we forget, he reminds us and pursues us. The God whose faithfulness is without measure, whose mercy is new every morning, who is full of unfailing love and forgiveness. Even when we don't think we are ready, true faith looks to God and away from our own failings. What God is calling us to is not to depend on ourselves. It's to trust in him. And to go back to the scripture I read in the beginning, Jesus looking at Jerusalem. When Jesus said, pray for your enemies, bless your enemies, and pray for those that persecute you, this is what he's doing right here. Jesus practiced what he preached, in case there was any doubt. Jesus is praying for Jerusalem in a sense. He says, Jerusalem, how I have longed to take you under my wings. We serve a God. The the God that I'm proclaiming to you is the God who longs to gather you into his protection of the shadow of his wings. And it's possible because of what he has done. You don't have to get yourself right. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do some sort of religious ritual All you need to do is trust in him and he adopts you into his family. That's an amazing truth. He's the perfect father, the perfect mother. And it's all possible because of what Jesus has done. We are invited again to put our trust in Jesus, not our own ability. Not our own ability to mother or our failure to mother or our ability to... to, hope in God 
our hope is that God is continuing to work out his plan in Jesus. He's not done. All of these stories show us a process that he's bringing his people through. We don't, we don't, don't give up too early on God's promises. He's not going to give up on fulfilling them, that's for sure. He has given parents, and today we reflect on motherhood, our mothers, which illumines our connection to our God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just showing us through your story and through the people that you've worked in, through the faithful mothers and the unfaithful, (laughs) through the mothers who've given up, through the mothers that laughed at your promises, through the mothers who had no idea what they were getting into and yet trusted in you, through our very mothers, Lord, that, that gave birth to us so that we could be here today to hear your word, Lord. I pray that we would reflect on them today and, and in that you would show us what you're like, that we would know you more as we celebrate our moms today, as we remember our moms today. And Father, for those who don't have a mom here, for those who aren't with their mom today, I pray that you would be enough, Father. I pray that your comfort would be with them. I pray that your grace would be with them. For those that need a new family, Lord, I pray they would come into your church today, Lord Jesus. Bring them into your family by your power. Bring them into your kingdom, Father. I thank you for this family, that, this new family that you've given us that's full of fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers. Lord, help us as we move forward with your plans. Help us to be faithful and submitted to you. Lord, help us to focus on, it, on the instruction and influence that you give. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen.